0: today's scripture reading is taken from psalm 96 that's in page 467 of the pew bibles psalm 96 oh sing to the lord a new song sing to the lord all the earth sing to the lord bless his name tell of his salvation from day to day Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar, and all that fills in it. Let the field exult, and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is God's word.
1: Thank you, Clarice, for reading scripture to us. Uh, I have a book to give away, as we've been doing in recent weeks. Uh, This one's written by a friend of mine. It's called Missions, How the Local Church Goes Global by Andy Johnson. Uh, Andy started off just as a layperson trying to encourage missions in his own local church. He ended up getting called into the ministry, and now he's serving in Turkey. Now, there's no guarantee if you read this book that that's going to happen to you, but would anyone like to read Missions? Just put up a hand, and I will bring it to you who would like to read about missions eugene assured me that somebody would (laughs) so don't don't make eugene look bad yes over there look hello thank you Shante. all right Uh, our family enjoyed a, a trip to malaysia the last few days uh to desaru on the the coast uh it was the first time going over the causeway for me uh That's a busy place. Like, What happens if you have to go to the bathroom or something? I don't know. There were lots of thoughts I had going over the causeway. Uh, But over into the beautiful countryside of Malaysia, I mean, I was just amazed by how much space there was there. Uh, We had a a nice driver and plenty of time to talk, especially waiting on that causeway. Um, And we got talking about spiritual things. He he told me that he was a Buddhist. Uh, I told him that I was a Christian and a pastor. Uh, and he very excitedly told me that we believe the same things. Now, I don't know if he knew the trouble that he was getting into at that point. Uh, I told him that, that that couldn't be the case. Uh, but he said, no, no. He was adamant that um, belief for him and for me was the same. The, the way he put it, he said, "For him, it's, it's Fo Tsai Shinli." So, so Buddha in his heart, and he said, "For you, it's Yesu, Tsai So to him, uh, I realized as we talked more and more that in his mind we're not talking about tangible things, right, Um, we're we're talking about things that are in the mind or or things that are in the heart, as he said. And and I realized that for him, like for so many, the, the point of religion is to be something useful to you. I mean, above all, religion should help you deal with things in your life in this view. It should give you strength, uh, it should give you hope, help you manage stress, and and for him, he takes three trips across the causeway every day. So I understand his need for something to help him handle stress. He thinks that it should make you think positively, and again, in his words, it should give you uh, a, a way towards success, being successful in your life. You know, as we talked, I was thinking to myself that there are many Christians who would describe their faith in a very similar way. Uh, They would emphasize the way it's been useful to them, giving them a sense of purpose, perhaps. Uh, Prominent Christian pastors in this very city uh, tell their congregations regularly that they are called by the Lord to be successful, right? Right? to enjoy wealth and to enjoy health, to enjoy a life of victory, provided that they learn to think the right way. Have you you heard that message before? Positive thinking will lead to positive outcomes. Now, I wonder if you would say that that is why we are here this morning. Uh, Are we here looking for something useful in life? Are we here for a spiritual pick-me-up, a Christian cup of coffee, to get us going for the week, to get us on the right psychological track? Is Christian worship about positive thinking and about success? Well, as we dive into this psalm, Psalm 96, we're going to get a very different perspective on what it means to worship God. It was composed by David when the ark of God was being brought back into Jerusalem. I wonder if you remember that Old Testament story where the people of Israel getting very confused about the purpose of worship actually took the ark of God into battle. Uh, They treated it like a talisman that was going to give them success, military victory over their enemies. They were trying to manipulate God to make them successful. That didn't go well. Eventually, the ark comes back, and David is bringing it into Jerusalem. He composes this psalm, at least this is part of the psalm that he composed. And David's psalm tells us that worshiping God is not about manipulating God. It's not about getting what we want. It's not about psychology or self-help. We are, after all, talking about the God who is there, the God who made us, and the God who rightly makes demands of us. So the main idea of our text this morning, and you may want to write this down as something you could talk about later over lunch with a friend, the main idea is that your whole self should join the whole of creation in worship of the coming King. Your whole self should join the whole of creation in worship of the coming King. And we'll think about that in three points, tried to make them similar and memorable. So number one, all of you. Number two, all of creation. And number three, all of him. All of you, all of creation, all of him. It's my prayer this morning that God will give all of us the ability to look beyond ourselves to the purposes of God for us in worship. Now, Clarice read it, but I I love kind of repetition, so I'm going to read Psalm 96 again. I want you to follow along. I want you to see the breaks in the psalm. When it comes down to actually walking through it, we'll be a bit all over the place. So uh, follow along again as we read Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Number one, let's think about worship with all of you, all of you. What do I mean by that? Well, the the psalm opens with this threefold call to sing in verses one and two. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, a new song doesn't mean you can't sing old songs. Uh, David is composing a song that will be used in worship for many centuries. We, we sang a, a song earlier in the service, All Creatures of Our God and King. I think that was written in the 1200s. So, it doesn't mean you can't sing old songs. Singing a new song means singing with a fresh appreciation of who God is and what he's done. Perhaps as we're we're singing a song like we did earlier, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, where it says, Born to set thy people free, from our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Well, maybe you come in and you're thinking of your own fears that you have this morning, and you think about the way that God sets you free from them. And you're able to sing a new song to him. The fresh heart. So the worship is new. It's in the present tense. I wonder if you've thought about God's command to you to sing. Why would he do that? Why why would he command us to sing? I think one of the reasons has to be that singing connects with our emotions. With what we would call the affections of our hearts. It doesn't mean that you can't sing in a lifeless sort of way. Uh, Certainly you can mouth the words. Your heart's not really in it. Uh, It's harder to do that with a song, I think, than a creed. I mean, you don't want to do either in a lifeless sort of way, right? But a little bit easier to mouth a creed lifelessly than sing a song. That's because singing is meant to connect with our hearts to get us to engage our hearts with the truth. But now here's what's interesting, because if you look down in this psalm, there's a beautiful symmetry. Look, look there in verse 7. We get another threefold repetition, don't we? So sing, sing, sing. It's complemented by ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. A scribe doesn't mean to give him those things. He has those things in himself. It means to credit or attribute them to him. It means us recognizing that those things are true of God. It's telling us, in other words, to get our doctrine correct about who we're singing to, who we are worshiping, so that we can attribute the right things to him. Uh, Can you see the symmetry here of, of head and heart? See how those two things balance? Uh, that's why when the elders and Lut Ming and the, the worship ensemble uh, choose music and prepare music, we're, we're looking for songs that combine deep theology with the kind of poetry and arrangement that connects with our hearts. We want to do both things. We don't want to sing in a in a in an academic sort of way. We also don't want to sing just in an emotional sort of way that's devoid of content. And I think it's safe to say in, in, our, in the modern age in which we live, we, we tend towards the emotional, don't we? If you, you compare the older songs with the newer ones, the, the newer ones tend to be shorter, more repetitive, less deep. Not all of them. but That's why we want to choose songs from the different ages of church history. As the older theologians would say, we don't want heat without light. We want light and heat together. And friends, it's important for all of us to realize as these servants come to lead us in worship that the spotlight is not on them, it's on us. I hope you think that way as you come in, that this is the choir. This is the group that is supposed to sing their praises to God. And I have to say, we do it very well here, so uh, sing even louder going forward, but, but engage your whole self, your head and your heart. One out of two will not do here. We don't want, as I said, empty emotionalism, and we don't want Christianity as an academic exercise. I wonder where you would put yourself this morning if you take stock of where you are. Do you take time in your schedule? Do you use your free time to fill your mind with truth? Are you taking time to read the scriptures day by day? Make use of the the book table that that Sam and his henchmen set up on level three week by week to put before you good resources. Take, Take a book from there. Get a Christian friend and and meet up and hold each other accountable. Fill your mind with true things. But then as you come to sing, when you you realize that your heart is not in it, confess that to God. Say, God, I I want to worship you with my heart as well. But I want you to notice another way in which worship encompasses the whole self in this psalm. So look down at verse 8. After we sing, 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 and ascribe, 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 we have two more worship commands. The first is to bring an offering and come into his courts. Uh, this command is to the, the families of the peoples. So, so Gentiles are being called here to join Israel in coming to the tabernacle, or, or later the temple, to bring offerings with them, the offerings that would have been prescribed by Moses. So the Israelites were supposed to bring the, the first fruits of their harvest. They were all supposed, also supposed to make offerings for the maintenance of the tabernacle and the priests. They were supposed to make offerings for the poor. Uh, we could summarize their giving by saying it was planned, it was consistent, and it was first. And friends, so it should be for us. God doesn't need our money but we need very much to worship God through our giving, don't we? David said it this way, I, I will not worship the Lord with that which doesn't cost me anything. Jesus said it this way, when, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But it's interesting to think about how physical this aspect of worship is. It, it-, it involved the financial resources of the worshipper. It also involved them coming physically to the tabernacle or the temple. I was thinking that, you know, it's definitely true that Christianity is more than coming to church. But friend, it isn't less. The the physical, external dynamic of our worship is important. But again, in this beautiful symmetry, he doesn't just leave it with the external. Look at the next phrase there in verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Many commentators think the word splendor there points to clothing, so you you may have a, a footnote in your Bible in holy attire, Uh, speaking about what you wear, maybe clean and set-apart robes for temple worship. Uh, Either way, the the idea here is that the holiness of the worshiper matters. So not just the externals of worship, but the internal. Now, we understand, we, we, we might read that and say, well, how in the world could I worship God in the splendor of holiness as a sinner, aware as I am of my sin." Well, friends, it's essential that we remember the lessons we've been learning in the book of Galatians. You and I bring nothing to the table before God except our sin. God, in his mercy, sent his son Jesus to live the life we should have lived. It was a life of holiness that Jesus lived. So that when he died on that Roman cross and took our place, that holiness could be given to us even as our sin was given to him. So we stand in what we could call our positional holiness. So if you're not a believer and you're here, it's essential that that you don't walk away thinking, well, this is a holy group of people that I could never join. It isn't that sort of a thing at all. If you realize that you're a sinner and you're willing to come and place your faith in Christ, then holiness will be given to you as a gift But that positional holiness is meant to lead to something else. A progressive holiness or sanctification that is experiential and involves you and I growing in holiness as God works in our lives. And it's essential that that progressive holiness is happening. Otherwise, we're we're like a plant that's withering, right? I mean, if you're going to judge a plant in your garden whether it's alive or dead, you you ask, is it growing or is it withering? If it's not growing, it's on the way to dying. And that's why Hebrews 12.14 says that we should strive for holiness, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Not because it saves us, but because it marks you out as truly His You may ask, how do I know if I'm worshiping the Lord in the splendor of holiness? The the simple test is whether you're repenting of sin in your life. The the way God wants you and I to grow is by pointing out our sin through his spirit and having us acknowledge it, confess it. That's why we have a prayer of confession week by week in the service. We want to acknowledge our sin, we want to confess it, and we want to turn away from it trusting that God has both forgiven it and that He'll give us the strength to walk in newness of life. I'm sure that there are some in our midst today who are carrying secret sin with them. If that's you this morning, friend, God is gracious. He's gracious to forgive. Don't hold on to sin any longer. Confess it to Him. Ask him to grow you in the holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. So, can you see the remarkable completeness of worship in just these few short verses? David has told us that we must worship God with our whole self heart, I pointed to my head, head and heart, internal and external. All of you must worship God. But let's consider, secondly, all of creation. Uh, This psalm is called one of the missionary psalms for a reason. Israel in the Old Testament may not have had as clear a missionary mandate as we have in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, but it's clear in places like Psalm 96 that they were supposed to have a missionary identity. So look again at verse 2. After the sing, sing, sing to the Lord and bless his name, they are told to tell of his salvation from day to day. Salvation to a Jew would have meant salvation from their enemies like slavery in Egypt and as we read about in the book of Exodus, but it would have also been salvation from their sin which was within. Their sin like in the golden calf episode and many other rebellions against God that were atoned for in the sacrificial system. So who are they supposed to be telling this salvation to? Well, verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Now let's let's remember that it's, it's not without good reason that Israel often felt animosity towards the nations around them. It wasn't just Egypt, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, eventually the Romans all attacked and conquered them. And these were the nations that worshiped other gods. We can understand why they often felt animosity, but that was not the Lord's intention for them. The other nations are the audience that they are supposed to be proclaiming their worship before. What's even more striking is that David turns directly to these nations in verse 7 when he says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. The idea seems to be that the telling of salvation from verse 3 has become now a direct call for the nations to join the choir in worship. I wonder if you've connected the idea of worship and evangelism. You know, Thomas and, and Ollie, the last number of weeks, and even as Thomas shared about this morning, has been leading an equip class in personal evangelism and helping us think about how we can be sharing the gospel with those around us. And that, that's something that all of us are supposed to share in, right? The the places that you frequent, the hawker center that you go to, you, you should be trying to build relationships, classmates, co-workers, teammates. You should be trying to build relationships so that you can win a hearing for the gospel. On top of that, you and I should be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have anytime. But evangelism doesn't just happen out there. Or at least it shouldn't we intend this gathering itself to be evangelistic i mean how, how many of us how did we get here in the first place some of you are like well, i was born here actually but but many of us were invited by someone else initially weren't we the first time i, I entered a, a gathering like this and sat in the very very back row was because a friend in college invited me to come. They had no reason to think that I would come. And seeing the people of God gathered for worship was probably the most powerful thing that this agnostic heart had ever encountered. So friends, let's connect worship as an opportunity with evangelism that person that's in your life that you think nah they would never come you don't know until you ask we don't put ourselves put pressure on ourselves to be the one who can convert anyone else only god can do that but let's make this a place that people can come and if you're here this morning and you're a, an inquirer a seeker you are welcome here this is not a club you don't have to swipe anything that you know that already you don't you know th- this is an open community in that sense. We'd love to talk to you more about what it means to follow Jesus. So we, could, we should connect gathered worship with evangelism because there's something about the corporate witness of the community. And look down in verse 10 because this witness continues when we're instructed to say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Now, I was thinking about this. Perhaps the the phrase among the nations would have been taken figuratively by an Israelite. What does it mean? uh, I'm going to say this among the nations. I'm not sure. Israel was surrounded by nations, obviously, at the crossroads of Europe and Africa and Asia. And, And there is, as I said, some debate about how much of a missionary mandate there is in the Old Testament. Surely they only knew a fraction of what you and I know. I mean, you and I know all the way to the book of Revelation, even as our call to worship this morning, pictured people from every nation and tribe and language. People gathered before the throne. So we know how the story ends, that all the nations and peoples are represented. But if if we understand more than they would have, then we have the greater responsibility and duty as well, don't we? I mean, when you and I go out, we can think about what might happen as we invite people in. But when you and I go out, we're surrounded even in Singapore with people from all over. When we go on vacation or travel for work, we should think about ourselves in some sense as missional. But even beyond all of that, you and I are to express this heart for the nations by trying to make sure that people actually go and tell them the good news of the gospel. Somebody's going to have to go to the many peoples of the earth where there is no indigenous church and tell them that there is a way for them to be right with their Creator. Tell them that the Messiah has come to save them from their sins. Tell them that if they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised raised Him from the dead, then they will be saved. That's why the budget that we approved just last week at the EGM has a full quarter of the money set aside for missions. We intend that to be a huge part of our understanding of what it means to minister. How can we say among the nations the Lord reigns if we do not go to the nations to say it? And I wonder if there are some among us whom the Lord is calling to go as a missionary. It isn't merely a matter of something that you think in your heart. There is a, an external evaluation that has to take place as well. But friends, we should expect as Grace Baptist Church that missionaries will be raised up from within our midst. I think all of us should be willing to pray, here am I, Lord, send me. Shouldn't we be willing to go? Now, the text here pictures creation, all of creation crying out in verse 11. It says, let the heaven be glad and the earth rejoice, the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Uh, these are reminiscent words of, of Jesus in the temple. Remember, as the children cry out, Hosanna, and the religious leaders say, rebuke, rebuke them. And Jesus says, if, if they keep quiet, even the rocks will cry out. So the, the chorus here begins with Israel. It flows out to the nations, and eventually it's the very creation itself. This is not a chorus that can be silenced. We should sing. The nation should sing. All of creation will sing. Now, the final question to ask is why? Why? Why should all of me join all of creation in worship? Point number three is all of him. The psalm has three answers to the question why worship. We've said already that his salvation, that we're supposed to tell from day to day, the fact that he saves us from our sin is a reason for worship. We tell of these marvelous works in our lives, even as we were hearing the testimonies from the baptismal candidates and the ones that we can read about, just amazing stories. Every one individual, marvelous works that he's done in our lives. That's the first reason what he's done for his people. But there's a second and more basic reason that the psalm gives in verse 4 to 6. Worship him because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. David picks up the language of gods because Israel was surrounded by nations with different gods. He he makes it clear in verse 5 he doesn't think those gods exist when he says that they are worthless idols. It's worth being clear here that we are grateful to live in a country like this one with freedom of religion. As Christians, we don't think anybody can be forced to believe anything anyway. It's essential that it's the individual's choice and that their conscience be free. So we want to stand up for religious liberty for for any religion, anywhere on planet Earth. And because we believe that every human being is created in the image of God, we we believe in respecting other people, what they think, what they say. There's a way of holding respectful religious dialogue and being good listeners. But I think we've got to be careful in this so-called age of tolerance that we don't be lured into blurry thinking about the truth. I mean, David cuts right through to the point and says, the gods of the nations idols but the Lord made the heavens he's the creator and therefore he's the one with whom every one of us and everybody on planet earth has to reckon we should notice twice in a psalm filled with singing and glad worship there is the same time a right fear of God verse 4 he is to be feared above all gods verse 9 tremble before him all the earth. Would you describe yourself as a God-fearing person? Do you stand in awe, reverence, filled awe of the creator of heaven and earth? The most basic reason we worship God is that He is the great creator, God. So salvation, creation, but there's a third reason to worship God here, and that's what He is. And it's that he is the coming king. Look at verse 10. The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. There's present tense in that verse. He's reigning now. He has established the world on firm foundations. That's past tense. It will never be moved. But then we move to the future tense. He will judge the peoples with equity. Judge here means rule. His kingdom is being described as a place of righteousness, equity. After the rejoicing of the created order in verse 11 and 12, the the language of judging is repeated, we're told. He's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. He will judge. He is coming. Now again, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the first hearers, When they looked towards the future, they understood themselves to be living in a time of waiting. They they knew that the sands of time were sinking, but they could only see one coming of the Lord. From our vantage point, we knew that there were, in fact, two comings of the King. As we turn towards the celebration of Christmas and our annual remembrance, the first advent the miracle of the Incarnation, the Son of God. We we marvel at the mercy of God. He he would have been right to come simply and judge. Instead, he came first in humility, born of a virgin, born in a humble place like a manger, come to live the life that we were going to be unable to live. We were helpless and hopeless, He came to do what you and I couldn't do because of his love, his mercy, and his grace. After he died for sin and rose again from the grave, he ascended into heaven and marked out this age, the church age, the time in between the comings of the king. That's when we live. But we must not mistake the fact that it will not last. We know that the sands of time are truly and finally sinking now. Uh, this dark age will not endure. The age where God allows sinners to have a chance to repent. An age in which sin still flourishes and wars still flourish Pandemics still exist, but one day they will be no more. Why? Because the God who is there, the God who made the heavens, the God of our salvation, the God who reigns is coming. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. When I began, I told you about my conversation with our driver to the one who said that religion is just in the heart. Uh, I understand his life to be difficult, and I understand him to be searching for something. But what I wanted him to know above all is that religion as psychology wasn't going to solve his problem. What I wanted to convince him of is that we're talking about real things, not just things in our mind not just things in our hearts. And that's gotta be real to us this morning. We're not playing games here. We're not gathered just to mouth the same old things. We're not gathered just to network. We're not gathered just to get a Christian cup of coffee. We're gathered because the King is really there and the King is really coming. And because of His grace in our lives, we. We're glad to come with our whole hearts, head and heart, external and internal. We're we're glad to come with it all and give our worship to him. Until one day, faith shall become sight. Friend, do you know him this morning? Do you know the good news that can save you?
0: Then trust in the soon and coming king.
1: Let's pray.